Welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish fishing and eating fish. That's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Zoe Groves, this week's host, and with me is my co-host this week, Clay Groves, licensed fishing guide and chief executive fish nerd. Today on the show, Stump the Fish Nerd. Fish names are dumb. And the news. And the news. Hey, Zoe, thank you for hosting this week. I think after last week's all adult, uh, over the top, full of bad words episode, it's important that we have you on to get my brain back. Last week's show that I will not let you listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear any of it? Yeah. Yeah, not okay. All right. This episode is brought to you by you, our listeners over at patreon.com slash fish nerds. We're hoping that anyone listening to the show who likes the show is willing to pay $1 an episode. That's $1 for an hour of uh, fishy nerdiness, and it, which is not a big deal, and that helps support the show. Zoe, yeah. so that's $4 a month. How many teeth do you need to lose to pay for this podcast? Two. Two teeth a month is how much Zoe's bill is. Zoe only has 26 teeth. Or only had 26 teeth, and she continues to lose them. So she can no longer support this podcast. <laughs> so we need listeners to pony up some dough and help us pay for the show. $2 an episode. I mean, sorry, $1 an episode makes you our best friend. $2, I'll send you a hoorag. 5 bucks an episode, which is a lot of money. I'll send you a fish nerd's beanie. 25 bucks an episode. $100 a month. That's a lot of money. That's our yep. sponsorship level. You do that, and I will mention your business on the show like our friend Josh Lopes at LopesTax.com. And I talked to Josh Lopes yesterday, and he told me yeah. that one of our listeners actually hired him. Uh, so, you know, there's that. So it That's does work. Neat. Yeah, it is neat. So being part of the Fish Nerds is good for your business, and it's good for us. So go to Patreon.com slash Fish Nerds and uh, help us support this show. Also, this show is brought to you by Health IQ, the life insurance company for people who live good, healthy lifestyles. So if you're a vegan, vegetarian, a runner, a cyclist, or any enthusiast who's very fit and healthy, go to Health IQ slash FNP, take a health quiz, and see if you qualify for reduced rates on your life insurance. Just like uh, if you are a are a driver and you're good at driving your car, you pay low rates for insurance. If you live a healthy lifestyle, you also can pay low rates for insurance. Zoe, most people are worth more dead than alive. Really? Yeah, because they have insurance, like at Health IQ. Uh, what life insurance does is if, if like your parents die for some reason, it's hard when parents die. And so you get a whole bunch of money to help pay the bills. Yeah. So like, oh, money. Oh, no, my parents aren't here anymore. So it's kind of not a doesn't it's not a win, but it helps you get through things. Yeah. Yeah. So you can still go to college. Anyway, it's health IQ slash FNP. That's so sad. <laughs> hey, um, good. Now it's time for Stump the Fish Nerds. All right. Hey, and, uh, if you want to be part of the Stump the Fish Nerds, and we love our phone, our fans. We love when they call us into the show because it helps the show get better. Yep. And we actually got some calls this week from all over the place. <clears throat> all over the place. We had, first up, we got a phone call from Charleston, South Carolina. Before I play that, though, if you want to call the Stump the Fish Nerds, you just call the Fish Nerds hotline, 607 378 Fish. Fish. 607-378. Fish. Fish. Uh, and just call us up. Leave us a voicemail. We try to use almost all of them on the show if they're any good. You also can call with uh, show ideas, topics, suggestions, or any comment you want to make. doesn't have to be a fish nerd, stump the fish nerd's question. just has to be interesting. Uh, and we're going to play the first one right now. Hey, fish nerds. Uh, this is Mitch from Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, I just wanted to know maybe a little more about the Atlantic sturgeon. I know one of the only hatcheries that uh, raises them are right here uh, on Bear Island down here in South Carolina. Just kind of want a little want to know a little more about the fish, its range, uh, and if it you know if it keeps feeding as it swims up rivers to mate. Uh, yeah, I just love to know a little more. It seems like a fascinating species. All right, well thanks so much. Bye bye. Okay, so that is Mitch from South Carolina. Okay. Uh, have you been to South Carolina? 
Yes. Yeah, what part have you been to? I've been to Folly Beach, South Carolina, and Charleston, and Char- South Carolina. And Charleston. And he's from Charleston. And uh, we're going to be visiting Charleston in April. I Are know. Are you aware of this? Yes. We're going to probably go fishing with him and with Matt Acri. Okay. Uh, and maybe go to the pier and do a little fishing. But he had a question about Atlantic sturgeon. Do you know what a sturgeon is? They're a fish. They are a fish. And they're actually really cool looking, yeah. uh, ancient, old looking fish. And they've been historically endangered. So I'm going to do a little... We're going to do a little bit of uh, taxonomy, a little ancient history of of the sturgeon. I'm going to go with this is from uh, uh, nmfs.noaa.gov. So, um, and it's all about the little fact sheet on the Atlantic sturgeon, uh, which are just such a cool fish. And it's funny thing about these huge fish, Zoe, is, is people like to fish for them and like to eat them. And I, I like to eat fish. Do you? Yes. I love eating fish. I do too, but I always feel a little bad when I eat a large fish. I always feel a little bit kind of like, yeah. oh, I don't feel good about that. And I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense. But but let's talk about it here. So well, this this is about, um, about he's from the Carolinas, right? Mm-hmm. So Atlantic sturgeon, Carolina, distinct population segment. They are considered endangered in the Carolinas. So you will not eat them, right? Mm-mm. All right, so they are uh, pr- they are declining throughout th- their range. Um, they have a limited amount of spawning grounds, and their impacts and threats uh, have and will continue to prevent population recovery. So it's really difficult for them. Now he was asking about about the spawning, right? But first, there's a little population information. Uh, Atlantic sturgeon in the Carolina district distinct population segment are extremely low compared to historic levels, and it remains so for the past hundred years. Uh, okay. Yeah. So before 1890, they estimated 7,000, 10,000 adult female sturgeon uh, with their uh, 8,000, that's in North Carolina, and 8,000 in South Carolina. And currently, there's only about 300. This is why they have to have hatcheries for these fish. Um, When when they spawn, they spawn in the the Sandpit River, um, which doesn't exist anymore, I guess. There's no spawning grounds there at all. So they have to have spawning hatcheries. and it's believed that only uh, seven out of the ten historic spawning populations remain in the Carolina distinct population. So there's not very many of these guys left. So they are pretty, pretty bad shape. We're not going to eat those, right? No. No way, Jose. Um, so let's talk a little about that. Sturgeon live, Lang sturgeon live about uh, 60 years. They're bluish black, olive brown with paler sides and a white belly. They have five major rows of scoots. Scoots are like, scoots uh, are, like plates, right? I know right? what they are, but I know what they are, but I don't know how to do. Exp- Describe that. Yeah, think armored plates. Like if you look yeah, at um, scoots. Yeah, if you look at like uh, a turtle. Turtle. Yeah. You look at a turtle. They got those nice scoots down their back, and that would be it. Um, they get to about fourteen feet long, sixty years, and they like to eat crustaceans, worms, and mollusks. They upright. They swim up rivers of migration to spawn, and then they live in the ocean usually. Now, do you know what kind of fish is born in fresh water, lives in the ocean, and migrates back to fresh water again? Yes. What kind of fish? Salmon. Well, salmon is an example, but what do you call that group of fish? Salmon, sturgeon, white perch, um, others, <laughs> herring, alewives. They're called anadromous fish. Anadromous fish are born in freshwater, live in the ocean, and they come back again to freshwater to spawn. Typically, and this is the answer to the stump the fish nerds question, typically um, when sp- Fish are on the migration for spawn. They don't eat. Yeah. They are, they are driven for one thing only. And what is that, Zoe? What are they doing? Getting babies. Making babies. Oh, yeah. So that's the game. Don't eat. Make some babies. Uh, and we are seeing them uh, here in New Hampshire. We are seeing return of sturgeon. Not, well, not New Hampshire. Well, yeah, some in New Hampshire. Mostly in Maine on the Saco River. Last year, I was out fishing with Captain Sean at MainTunaFishing.com, and we could see the um, sturgeon jumping out of the water, splashing around as they were making their spawning That's runs. That's awesome. Really cool, really big fish. Um, and just just kind of a, give you some, some information here. Right now, uh, it's estimated in the Hudson River, uh, there are about 4,600 wild uh, fish left in oh, the neat. Atlamahama River. There's about uh, 2,000, um, which is not very many because... Because these um, these mamas have millions of eggs. They lay millions and millions of eggs. So there should be more, but we, we have problems. Their threats, Zoe, what do you think their threats are? Their threats are over-harvest. Doesn't sound like you're reading at all. Over-harvest, <laughs> over-harvest led to widespread declines in the Atlantic surgeon abundance. 
commercial fishing from the 1950s to the 1990s. Right, so they were harvesting sturgeon for um, not just their meat, but also for their roe, for the eggs. And, and it just, it's been really hard in the population. Currently, their threats include bycatch. They catch them on accident while they're fishing for other, for other things. Habitat degradation. Impediments. You know what an impediment is? What's the worst thing for a migrating fish on a river that, that stops them from getting to their spawning grounds? A dam. A dam, right. Uh, and which is the biggest threat to most anatomous fish are dams. We need to start thinking about taking more dams out. Uh, and in lakes where they have taken these dams out, fish have come back. So lots yep. to talk about here. We're only going to go that deep into it. That's our first Stump the Fish Nerds question. Thank you, Mitch from Charleston. I hope to see you in April when we get down there. Uh, and uh, we appreciate you. Whew, man, we got another call, Zoe. Great. Ready, ready for another Stump the Fish Nerds? Again, you can be part of this by calling... 607-378-FISH. <laughs> All right, here's our next call. Hey, Fish Nerds. This is Mark Haling from north of Detroit. I'm a huge fan of your show. I listen to every episode. Enjoy it. I'd love to hear something on uh, spring fishing. You know, obviously the spawn kicks off. Pandemonium starts for the fish. They got love on the mind. And for the fisher people, too. Because everybody's running around Michigan with the worst case of spring fever you'll ever have in your life. I'd love to hear you guys tackle the uh, uh, spring open water season and the spawns for panfish, bass, pike, and all of God's creatures. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the awesome free content. I sincerely enjoy your show. And uh, keep up the good work. To, all right, so we love phone calls like that. And here's the cool yeah. thing. He posted that on our Facebook page, and um, Rich Collins commented. Do you want to – do you know Rich Collins? Yes. He's our fly fishing definitely. correspondent, also one of our friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he a good fisher? Uh, in the winter, he catches tiny, tiny perch. Yeah, but he's a great fly fisher. Yeah. He's our fly fishing correspondent. Heck of a nice guy. And a big supporter of our show. We like him. He's sometimes. funny. He is funny. We sometimes like him. Uh, here's what Rich said. Um, he said, I find this topic interesting because many people I know target fish when they are spawning. I am one of those people, by the way. Intentionally or not intentionally, even targeting the fish feeding on the eggs of another species. I never understood why we did not better build our fishing seasons around the spawn. A very interesting topic. So our friend, the, uh, anyway, so that's, that's what, what Rich said. Um, how do you feel about catching fish when they're spawning? I think, nah. Nah. So it's an interesting topic. I'm, I'm going to dive into that in a minute. But actually what I want to do is we got another phone call on the same topic. I'm going to play that first, and then we're going to talk about okay. catching fish on the spawn. Hello, Fish Nerd Nation. This is Crappie Hippie your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas. Hey, I was on the Fish Nerd Facebook page the other day, and a gentleman named Mark Shelter put up a post about tracking the panfish spawn from south to north. And being a crappie enthusiast, I decided to chime in on that. Well, let's go. Way down south, southern Texas, Louisiana, the spawn is past peak on crappie, but it's still going on pretty strong. Now, I look at some posts on Instagram from my friend D. Crappie. He is in East Central Texas, and right now the crappie spawn is on and approaching peak fast. My friend Jerry at Jerry's Jigs, he's in Central Texas. A lot of his clients buying his jigs are out there right now. Crappie are moving to the bank. They're already building beds and spawning, and it's a real good time down in Texas for those spawning crappie. Now, my buddy guy, John, John Oates, Northern Texas, He's out fishing sand bass, which is what we call white bass in Kansas. And that means the water in North Texas is still a little cold for the crappie to start spawning. Uh, but once he's done chasing sandies, you better know he's going to turn right around and start fishing crappie. I have a buddy, Farrell Drake, out in Greenville, North Carolina. He's been hauling in spawning crappie for the past week or so. Uh, you know how the males turn black. He's had a lot of pictures on Instagram holding up some beautiful colored-up slabs from out there in uh, Northern California, uh, Carolina. So that's where this crappie spawn is going on hot and heavy. Now, out in California, I have a friend at Clear Lake, and she tells me they're moving toward the bank, and she's catching a lot of slabs, but she hasn't seen a lot of spawning activity yet. Moving back to the Midwest, my buddies at Real Time Adventures down in Oklahoma at Grand Lake of the Cherokees, 
Tell me the crop you're out of the winter holes and off the winter structures into the brush in a pre-spawn sort of mode. I was tying jigs the other night with my buddy Big Kim Burnett from Crappie Stopper Jigs and Flies. And here in Kansas, kind of the same story. The fish are a little deeper, but they're leaving those super deep winter structures and starting to get into the brush and starting to think about moving toward the bank. And finally, my friend Anna up there in northern Minnesota, well, bless her heart, she's still pulling them through the hard water. So it's going to be a long time before she sees a colored up male crappie. That be it, the nation's crappie report, north to south, south to north, east to west. This has been Crappie Hippie wishing you tight lines and valentines. Peace out. That was so long. Yeah, we like him, though, John King. Uh, thank you for calling in. So there's a lot to unpack here. And the original caller wanted to ask about all the panfish and the bass and mm -hmm. the pike. That's too yeah. much stuff for one show. So I think what I'm going to do here, Zoe, is this week we're going to talk about crappies and how they spawn. Right. Next week, we'll pick another panfish uh, or a bass, and we'll talk about how they spawn. And so... So let me let's go a little bit of spawning history here for those who don't know about black crappies. Have you caught black crappie? Yes. Yes. And what do you think about them? They are awesome to catch. Uh huh. And do you eat them? I don't eat them. I eat them sometimes, but I just like to let fish go sometimes. Mm -hmm. I remember you said to me the other day we had one. I said, "Can we eat it?" And you said, "Oh, it's so pretty." Yeah. Yeah. And so we let the fish go. It was about twelve inches long. It's a mm -hmm. big one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's very good at catching these things, and they're so much fun. Uh, and so let, let's talk about, first of all, when do crappies spawn, all right? And, and, and then we'll talk about what happens when you catch a fish when they're spawning. And first of all, for New Hampshire and most of the Northeast, crappies aren't natives. They were imported yep. here. First one ever seen in New Hampshire was in 1923, I think in Horseshoe Pond. And we don't know who brought it here. A lot of the fish in New Hampshire, we know how they got here. All right, that's here. something I'm going to add to my decades project. Oh, good. Now I'm you... learning about the 20s. Are you? The yeah. Roaring 20s? The Roaring 20s, the Jazz Age. Yeah? Yep. So you think those uh, crappies came up here to head to the speakeasy, do a little dancing with their uh, with their little dresses on and their high heel shoes, their little Victrola record going? So, um, so timing for crappies is super important. Um, yep. Do you know the number one factor for fish spawning? Mates. It, well, finding a good mate, I guess, is a good point. But um, they're actually very temperature specific, which means that t the water temperature determines spawn. Water temperature, uh, then you've got to keep in mind uh, daylight hours, so it's not just water temperature. And then also you need to consider the uh, high pressure versus low pressure, how much pressure is in the air. Okay, so a lot to consider. Crappie have a pre-spawn period. This is the best time, I think, to catch crappie because yep. before they start making babies, they are fresh. The ice has just melted and they have to get their feed bag on, right? So they're going to eat before they spawn because once they spawn, they're going to protect their nest. They're not going to eat so much, right? Yep, Especially the males. Eat, 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 eat. Right. So pre-spawn. If you're out fishing in the springtime, the water temperature is between 50 and 63 degrees. Um, it's a good time to start looking for those pre-spawn crappies. Yeah. Um, which is really, really great. And then get them. And then as it gets just a little bit warmer, then the crappies begin to spawn. And actually, it's interesting because uh, and crappie typically spawn in water temperature 64 to 72 degrees. Yep. And then the trick is finding out where do they spawn. Where do they spawn? In lakes. Do you know what... Hey, get out of your house. <laughs> do you know what um, family of fish crappies are in? Crappie. There's not a family called crappie. They're in the same as bluegills and pumpkin oh, seeds. Perch. No, I meant the sunfish. You meant sunfish, and you will be accurate. And so they spawn very typically the same kind of behaviors. They build a red in shallow waters about four feet deep, and a red is just a big circle that yep. they make, and they guard, their, they guard their nest. Like a bass? Like a bass, because bass are also... Sunfish. Bass are also sunfish, so that's why they all act the same way. Uh, typically, the male will guard will guard the the nest and protect the female. So, if you're fishing for these things, and you catch a crappie who's guarding his eggs, and you're holding him, and you're smiling and taking a picture, what happens to the red? Um, the bluegills will come down and eat. Them. Absolutely, other fish, bluegills especially, are good ones. Also, fall fish. I learned that in wild crats. Oh, do those wild yeah, crats? Yeah, um, one person caught a a big bass. And the eggs start immediately start getting eaten. Oh, yeah. And these fish are so opportunistic. They are aggressive mm -hmm. and they're hungry because the bluegills are spawning right behind yep. the crappies. So they're getting fattened up as well. And we'll talk about bluegill spawning uh, next week, probably. 
because um, they're really, really interesting. And the cool thing about crappie spawning is they spawn in the springtime when the water is 64 to 72 degrees and the temperature and, and everything's just right and the daylight hours just right. And in the fall, if that temperature hits just right and the barometric pressure is just right, they'll spawn again in the fall. So sometimes twice a year. Nice. Fun fact, uh, in New Hampshire, um, bluegills and pumpkin seeds were brought to New Hampshire in the 1890s with bass. And they were brought here because they spawn twice a year to feed the bass in New Hampshire. So yeah. Kind of a fun, fun little side fact. So, yeah, catching fish in this pond, not always good. However, however, in most places, uh, there are plenty of crappies and they can handle it. But if you are in a place where there's a decline, there's problems, uh, it's not great. Let's kind of bring you around the country here from when the best time to go crappie fishing is. So, just like the crappie hippie said, if you are in Florida, South Texas, um, Louisiana, Mexico, I guess. South uh, Carolina. South Carolina, not yet. Um, but right now, um, February, uh, March, is a great time to go crappie fishing. Get a little more north of that, like Roosevelt, uh, uh, North Car- South Carolina, Tennessee, you know, late March, towards April. You get up a little bit more north, up towards Delaware, up towards whatever that square is right there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I think it's Colorado. That's Colorado, Kentucky. That's not Colorado. Um, I'm not sure. We don't know our states. Um, (laughs) No, if they don't have names on them, I don't know the states. Right. So anyway, so they get towards April and May. You get a little further north, uh, and I'll have the map up at fishnerds.com that have the uh, the crappy windows in it. They'll start doing in uh, in May and June, and then of course up in Canada, uh, it's late May to mid June. So a lot going on there with the crappy spawns, all water temperature related. You don't need the chart to know when. You need to put a thermometer in the water and then go find them. And they move, man. Before they spawn, they'll go 50 to 65 miles to find their spawning grounds in some of the bigger lakes, Uh, and they typically return to the same spawning grounds every year. So if you find them. In the like spawn. a lot of other fish. Like a lot of other fish. You find their spawning grounds this year, you'll find them next year and go back to the same spot. Anyone have any opinions or disagree with me, call 607-378-FISH. I'm happy to be wrong. I'm wrong all the time. I'm super great at being wrong. How are you at being wrong, Zoe? Good if it's at school. Yeah, other than that, you hate being wrong? I hate being wrong. <laughs> All right, and we'll have more links up at fishnerds.com. All this information comes from In Fisherman Magazine. Okay, whew, man. Zoe, I think it's time to take a breath and do a little Facebook theater. How's your acting skills? Very good. Yeah? Okay. So um, we're going <laughs> to – we got some pictures in on Facebook of our friend Mike uh, sent in some pictures of uh, some giant white perch. Nice. Yeah, caught Lake Wimpisaki. You've done that. Yep. How do you, what's the technique for – by the way, let's, for ice fishing, technique for catching big white perch. Um, you set the hook. Well, talk about, first of all, what are you using for a hook? A worm and a jig with a face. A jig with a face or an eyeball on it, Eyeballs. right? Eyeballs. Yeah. And you're fishing with a sonar or flasher usually. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so how do you, ca- so I'm, I'm sitting in an ice shack. I got a hole in the ice. I'm next to you. I'm, I'm pretend you're me. Tell me, how am I going to catch, how am I going to catch a white perch? You line up, make sure when the fish lines up to your hook, anticipate the bite. Anticipate the bite, yeah. And I do a nice hook set. And then and if he's on there, you reel it in. Yeah, so one of the, I was fishing with Zoe the other day, and she caught 12 fish to my one fish. And we were both fishing, and I thought we were doing the exact same thing. And what she was doing is uh, on the flasher, those of you who use flashers, you'll know your fish are just look like little lines on the screen. And when the fish and bait lined up, she just set the hook whether they bit or not. And she yep. was catching way more fish because these fish typically bite very lightly. Uh, and she was just killed me. And so I've learned a little bit. I got better fishing because of Zoe. Thanks for nothing. Still don't catch as many fish as me. Uh, well, no, but I'm mostly teaching people how to fish. True. <laughs> yeah, true. But if you were just you and me, who would catch more fish? Oh, uh, you would be so sad crying all day about how many fish I catch. No, You'd be I the would. saddest kid I'm ever. I'm a better fisher than him. <laughs> all right, bring it. All right, so how about some Facebook theater? I'm going to start off. Zoe, um, actually... You're going to start off. Uh, I'm going to be me, and I'm going to be Mike Steffen. So that's those are our lines on okay. the screen here. You're going to be this person called Doug True, okay? You see? T-R-U-E-X is his name. Uh-huh. And you have to do his voice. All right. So All does right. it sound like, 
Perhaps a stupid question from Midsummer. All right, that, that's exactly how he sounds. Uh, so yes, you be Doug Truth. Go three, two, action. Perhaps, perhaps a stupid question from Midwester. But what kind of a fish are these? I'm gonna be Mike Steffen, who's a total nerd. Well, actually, they're a white perch. I didn't know about them till I moved out of the Midwest either. Ah. <laughs> oh. Do they have perch? They do have a perchy look to them. And then uh, Fish Nerds Admin, which is me, says, Strange that you would say they have a perch to look because they're not in the perch family. They are a temperate bass, a true bass, and a close relative to the striped bass. I thought the piggy belly made them look perchy, but that doesn't seem bassy at all. Well, if you're thinking it doesn't seem largemouth bassy, that's true, because largemouth bass and smallmouth bass are not bass. They are sunfish. Now you're just... That is the F word with me. Effing F <laughs> word with me. Uh. All right. Uh, nope, I'm not. Fish names are stupid. Sounds like the title of a ponytail. <laughs> ponytail? Uh, that word is potential. <laughs> Sound it out. <laughs> so read it again. Sounds like the title of a potential episode. I've been toying with that for a while. Here we are, right? I guess I may have sponsored that one. I guess so. So he said, I guess I may have sponsored that one. And I killed that conversation by sending him a link to Patreon saying, Hey, if you like this, why don't you give me a freaking dollar? And he, guess what? He did not give us a dollar. I know, which is sad because to uh, later on this week on Facebook, I'm going to go live and I'm going to give away a prize package to people who donate on Patreon. So oh. I'm going to put all the names in the hat and I'm going to draw it out. They're going to get a fish nerd beanie, some fishing lures, and some other surprises in the mail just for being part of the fish nerd nation. I'll draw a, pi a picture of a fish and do that too. All right. Sounds good. Hey, so um, fish names are dumb. Yep. And we were just talking about bass being in the sunfish family and white perch uh, being in the bass family. And so I thought, Zoe, it might be, and we'll do a, well, I'm going to do an entire episode later on, on fish names, um, but I'm going to get a scientist on to help with this. But I thought it'd be fun to give you a little fish quiz to see what you know about right. fish names. You ready for a quiz? Yeah. Yeah, and I should preface this. We started, I wrote this episode at three in the morning. I woke up at six to record it, so we are... Uh, we are in our morning brain space right now. Well, I drink some hot cocoa, so I'm good. And I have not had a single beer today. I single. I've not had any beers. Oh, my gosh. I am beer-free right now. I've had a lot of coffee. Coffee is good enough. Mm -hmm. Beer is not. Yeah. Okay. So, fish quiz, and feel free to play along at home and uh, submit your own questions. We could do a 500-question test like this one. Yeah. So, I'm going to read you a local common name for a fish. You're going to tell me what kind of fish it is and if we have to we'll do multiple choice but i'm going to see if you know it so the first one and i'm going to I'll, I'll tell you if it's from the ocean or from fresh water okay all right um the first one's called a uh a doormat is it a freshwater or something? oh it's a saltwater that's fish. what i thought yeah. i'm guessing it's flounder it is a flounder it is except for yeah and that's how you know the earth is flat because there's no curve on a flounder <laughs> Throw back to last week's episode. <laughs> All right. How about um, calico bass? Calico bass. I'm doing the quiz. You're doing the answer. Okay. How about a calico bass? And they're obviously a freshwater fish. All right. Black crappie. They are a black crappie. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was I had multiple choice, but you know, how about a kiver? And 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 actually, some people some call them kivers, and some call them kibbies. All right. Um. So, what are the choices? Choices would be a bluegill, a pumpkin seed, or a red-breast sunfish. Bluegill, pumpkin seed, or red-breast sunfish. Hmm. This is actually a, in between a bluegill and a pumpkin seed. Hmm. It's one of those two. Uh, it is one of those two. Actually, it's both of those two and red-breast sunfish and any oh, other sunfish you okay. catch. People who use the word kibby or kiver in place of sunfish have no idea the species of sunfish. So, they have a common local name. Yep. And they call them kibbies or kivers. Uh, and they don't care. Which is which? I care. You care. Yeah. I like to know who's who, but they do not, and that's okay, because they're still fun to catch. How about a freshwater eel? Um, 
Freshwater eel. I'll give you some choices. Conger eel, American eel, or sand lance. I'm going to go with American eel. American eel, stay away from me. Yes, you got it right. Fun fact, Zoe. Is there a such thing as freshwater eels in North America? No. No. Are there eels living in freshwater in North America? Yes, they've been landlocked. Or they're not landlocked. Some of them are. No. Eels, really? no. Uh-huh. Eels, here's a cool thing. Eels are what's called catagomous. Remember early we learned about anagomous fish? Uh-huh. Catagomous is the opposite, which means they're born in the ocean. Oh. Right? Live in fresh water and migrate back. So any mm. eel you find in North America was born out in the Sargasso Sea. I don't care if you're in Minnesota or if you're in New Jersey. If you're in fresh water, you find yep. an eel. That's where it's from. No such thing as a freshwater eel in North America. Um, really cool fish. One of my favorites, and we'll probably get into that later this season. Um, and they have some troubles, too, so we'll talk more. How about uh, goggle eyes, or I call them Google eyes? Rock bass, smallmouth bass, or red breast sunfish? Hmm. Is it freshwater or sea? It is freshwater, and I gave you the choices. So All rock right. bass, so smallmouth bass. So rock bass is definitely eliminated then. Why is that? Because they live in the ocean. Do you think so? Unless they are on white perch. No. Um, uh, I'm going to go with smallmouth bass. Uh, no, sure no. Smallmouth bass, actually, it's a fun name for smallmouth bass. People call them red eyes sometimes because their eyes are bright red. Uh, goggle eyes, I call them Google eyes, are rock bass, and they are in the sunfish family. And we catch them in Lake Winnipesaukee. They're invasive. Remember with fish in the docks, like Winnipesaukee with the uh, cane uh, poles, and there were just tons of those fish living in the rocks? Yep. Those are rock bass. Not bass. Sunfish. Yep. <laughs> so, these stupid fish names. People uh, have to get those names right. Yeah. How about mother-in-law? Mother-in-law is a common name for a really ugly fish. Name, I'm sure a, a man must have named this. Toadfish. Uh, so, <laughs> choices for mother-in-law would be sea raven, sea urchin, or toadfish. Which one is considered the mother-in-law fish? Toadfish. Toadfish. Meh. Wrong. Sea urchin. Uh, meh. Not a fish. Sea raven. <laughs> sea raven, yeah. And some people call them sea robins. Beautiful fish, actually. But some fishermen just don't like them. How about an oyster cracker? And you, I think you caught one of these in South Carolina once. And this is in the, in the Folly River we caught one of these. Uh, I think we might have caught it in a crab trap. Yeah, we did. So is it a toadfish, a sea raven, or a whiting? Whiting. It's not a whiting. Whiting would be in like an ocean perch, I think they call it. Toadfish. Toadfish, yeah. In fact, if you want to hear a great story of the um, of the oyster cracker or the toadfish, um, listen to the first episode of the Beyond Data podcast. So good. They de- dive deep into the um, into the fishiness of the oyster toadfish and how oh, neat. how it used to be a viable uh, market for uh, for actually eating a delicious fish. Because anything that eats oysters well, is going to be yummy. It's going to be tasting like oyster. Yeah, so really good. So check out the Beyond Data podcast. My friend uh, Rhett Talbot from Maine makes that. It's awesome. All right, how about rockfish? R- rockfish. Bluefish, striped bass, or rock bass? Freshwater or... Ocean fish. All right, so... Mm-hmm. Striped bass. Striped bass is correct. And they call... So when you see um, rockfish in the supermarket for sale, it's always striped bass. And they call it rockfish because people don't want to eat striped bass. In the supermarket. It says market as well. So they changed the name to sell more of them. Yeah. Uh, also delicious. How about, okay, one, let's do um, two more. I got, how about slime dart? All American right. eel, pike, or pickerel? Hmm, I'm going to go with the American eel because they're slime. Yeah, they are super slimy. But pickerel in New Hampshire are called the slime darts. And they're native to New Hampshire, native to most, most of North hmm. America. Uh, super fun to catch, aren't they? Yes. Teethy, slimy. Yep. Gross. I don't awesome. think they're very slimy, though. Well, next time you catch one, we'll take a look, okay? Okay. Because they are super slimy. Last one. How about a Sally? A Sally. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should know this. Largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, or calico bass? I feel like it's a... It's either a largemouth or smallmouth. Mm-hmm. And we'll give you a hint. Largemouth is called a Larry. Oh. Smallmouth is a Sally. That's your, your giveaway. Thanks for playing the quiz. Oh, that was easy because a largemouth and small. Sally small. Sally small. That's right. You win. You win. In fact, you win so much that we now have a sponsor for the show. The show is brought to you by Health IQ. Health IQ you uses. said that. I know, but they pay me to say it twice. Uh, Health, IQ, <laughs> Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people like runners, cyclists, strength trainers, vegans, and more. 56% of Health IQ customers save up to one-third on their life insurance. Like saving money on car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ will save you money on your life insurance for being health a health-conscious 
lifestyle person. If you run a marathon, you qualify, probably. Uh, if you can, <laughs> can, Completed a triathlon. Not if you walked a marathon. <laughs> right, you better run it. You can play a triathlon. You probably qualify. Um, if you sit around eating cheeseburgers and watching TV, um, you do qualify. You'll be my <laughs> friend, but you do not qualify. <laughs> Qualifying is simple. Head to healthiq.com/fnp. Take the quiz, and you are in the game. Uh, Trustpilot.com rated Health IQ nine point six out of possible ten points. Um, so go to healthiq.com/fnp. That helps support the podcast. That puts money in our bank account, which helps us pay for computers and microphones. And uh, I have to feed my kids. And just <laughs> once, just once, I want to earn enough money on this show to take my wife out for dinner. Like, you she take w- her out to dinner, but not mom. No, I, but I let make mom pay. So <laughs> healthiq.com slash FNP. All right, boy, we have a lot going on here. Yep. How about some fish in the news? All right. Okay. We got three stories today. Nice. Mm-hmm. This is from Axios.com. And the headline, lake trout are making a comeback and no one knows why. Are those lake trout? In that ph- photograph, those are they some of them. Are, like there's it. a lake trout. Yep, yeah, in the photo there. Not all of them. I know. But they look different than our lake trout. Um, scientists have spent the entire careers trying to understand why some trout no longer survive in Lake Champlain and the Great Lakes. And now they've returned and researchers don't know why. Here's why it matters. Around the world, large lake ecosystems, which drive the economies of cities that bother them, them, are being threatened. One thing uh, this return demonstrates is that these lakes have enormous recuperation powers, says Dave Fielder, fisheries research biologist in the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. If we can provide relief from some of the stressors, the lake will respond. So what that says is if you just stop wrecking the fish's habitat, and stop catching them for a while, the yep. fish come back. That's definite. Yeah. Um, so they're studying Lake Champlain, and, and it's a good um, starter point because they're looking at the bigger lakes, like, uh, yep. like Michigan, Lake Huron, all the big Great Lakes, uh, and they're using that as like a, as like a test um, as a test lake to find out how okay. those bigger lakes are going to respond. Uh, and so they can do that. And it's really great, and they're finding out that the fish are coming back. Uh, here's a little history of the lake trout in that lake. Uh, in 1800 to 1900s, sea lampreys enter the lake and they hurt the trout. Oh. Um, and we, by the way, in New Hampshire, we like we like lampreys. They don't hurt our fishes, but in places where they're invasive, they um, they can do some damage. Uh, in 1993, zebra mussels invaded. Uh, oh. Yeah, and they and they eat the nutrients um, and the shrimp, which is what the young trout eat. Um, and then in 2003, invasive alewife, which are herring. Um, were brought into the Great Lakes, introduced into Champlain, and there. So these, all these things are competing with these fishes. So a lot going on there. They don't know why they're coming back, but it does say. I mean, I'm not gonna read the whole article because you can go to fishnorse.com and click the link. But it does say if you just leave the animals alone, they, they figure it back. out. They do. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. And lake trout have been in uh, these lakes for eons, and they know mm-hmm. how to survive. So just leave them alone if they're endangered, and they'll come right on back, uh, according to this. But they don't know why. So I can't say this why it's happening. Okay. But really interesting. Let's go to the next story. Next story. Uh-oh. This is from theconservation.com. And this is from, this is a fact file. The facts on shark bites and shark numbers. Are you afraid of sharks? No. If you were in the ocean and a big mako shark swam past you, would you be afraid? No. I would. Well, if it's not going to bite me, I wouldn't. Well, they probably won't bite you. Exactly. But, but it would scare you because they're big giant sharks. They're neat. They are super neat. Well, I, we caught that mako shark a few years ago. It was delicious. It was delicious. It like fish sticks. Yeah, we're not going to... I'm not going to do it again. I know. But um, when we caught one a few years ago and it jumped out of the water, I was so scared I almost jumped into the water. I wanted to be on the opposite side of the water as that shark. <laughs> and I'm not afraid of things like that usually. So it was yeah. really... All right. Um, are there more sharks in Australia? I mean, yeah, are in Australia waters than there used to be. And are the interactions between humans and sharks increasing? Some Australian politicians have claimed that is the case. Uh, so that's interesting. So Claimed? Poli- claimed. They're saying we have too many sharks... And people are going to get eaten by these sharks. Therefore, we need to allow hunting of these sharks, right? So the most reputable source for shark incident data in Australia is the Australian shark attack file. They have a shark attack file. 
Uh, the map below, created by the conservation user, data from the Australian shark attack file shows incidents between sharks and humans uh, between 1997 and 2017. So about 20 years of data. Yep. You can use the filter button. So we're going to take a look at these shark incidents in Australia from the last 20 years. There's been 355 incidents. Uh, by the way, looking at this map here, Zoe, there's been no shark attacks in the middle of the country. <laughs> but the really cool thing is you can click on these and so if you're going to go to the beach in australia you can go to this website and you can click on on these little dots here and it tells you um how they are so right now we're looking at one at burley lake gold coast canal uh 8th of february 2003 and it was a fatal unprovoked bull shark uh attack so someone got eaten by a shark unprovoked unprovoked means a shark and its natural habitat attempts to bite a human without the human provocation. Now, the other kind of attack is called provoked. So if we go to the Foster Barge Wreck from May 17, 2012, we have an uh, injured person provoked the shark attack by a, a wabagong <laughs> shark uh, in the fall. And provoked means the person uh, attracts or initiates physical contact with the shark accidentally or on purpose this can include fishing for sharks and commercial diving activities. So if you're in a shark cage or you're swimming with the sharks, all these things can impact the sharks. So can you press the one way out? Way out here? Yeah. Sure. Let's see. Whoops. Daddy? Yeah, there it is. Uh, that was injured, provoked Galapagos shark in the oh. fall. Lord Howe Island, Ned's Beach, April 9th, 2015. So it's a really kind of fun map to see um, what's been going on. I think the black ones are deaths. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, fatal, unprovoked white shark spring by Grace in Gracetown on November 2013. So, the number of recorded con- encounters between sharks and humans in Australia increased between 1997 and 2017, but the reason is unclear. Over those two decades, the Australian population increased by 33%, but that alone doesn't explain the increase in recorded shark attacks or encounters. Uh, correcting for growth in human population in Australia, where the data shows that between 1997 and 2017, incidents resulting in injury increased by 1.59%, increases without injury increased by 0.36%, and fatalities increased by 0.07%. So not a huge jump, right? Yeah. So we still don't need to be too afraid. I still don't want to be in the water next to a big shark, but I still love them. Yeah, me too. Yeah, unless I'm wearing like, uh, like in a shark cage or something like that. All right, we have one more. One more from Slate... Dot com. Eat me. Eat me. Yeah, this was sent to me from Rich Ross, who's a cephalopod expert. <laughs> um, and this is interesting because we know a little bit about octopuses uh, and how smart they are, right? Mm-hmm. What do you know about octopus smarts? Octopus are very smart. They have three hearts. Mm-hmm. Their leg, each leg has their own brain. Mm-hmm. And so if you eat one leg, they keep moving. Yeah, they, I, mean, I think we call them, yeah arms or legs um and and have you eaten octopus before no and would you eat an octopus maybe maybe now i i've been back and forth first of all i've eaten octopus and i've never liked it so that's my big reason but i've also in the past i've said things like boy they're super smart i'm not going to eat them if they're that smart yeah and do you eat smart animals yeah. Yeah, we do. We, we do. We do eat smart animals. They, I think smart things are better tasting. I feel like we had a conversation like this on another podcast. I think we're repeating stuff. All right. So against the octopus, it's not crafty. Yeah. We did. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, against the octopus, it's not crafty, soulful genius. It's dinner. This is from Daniel Engberg. Engerberg. And why can't people have normal names? Yep. Just from it's from Danny uh, on, at Slate.com. In mid-February, the BBC America aired an episode of Blue Plant 2. The British audiences have been raving about since November. The star of the show, a wily octopus that twice avoids predation by a piranha attack. First, the octopus somehow weaves an arm into the shark's gills and stops its breathing long enough to get away. Later, when the octopus is caught outside its den, it suckers up a mess of shells and rolls itself inside them like a seafloor party cheese ball. Bewildered, the shark... Uh, pokes at it and assembles uh, this assembly and the octopus jets off once again. In a forceful, hungry mouth, superior witch allowed this octopus to stay alive is what the uh, narrator said. Now, this has led to people, I'm not reading now, this has led to people saying, I'm not going to eat it because that that animal is smart. Um, and what this article is, is kind of saying is 
is anyway this article goes on and on about a ton of like stories about other really smart uh, octopuses doing things yeah. uh, and in the endless spew of anecdotes and factoids has made the octopus the perfect object of our drive-by sense of wonder the spirit animal for the age of uh, IFL science. This fascination isn't just an online thing. The octopus' quirky, elusive mind is so different from our own. He also spawned lots and lots of books. Um, the Ocean's Intelligent Vertebrate, The Kraken, Octopus, and movies, all kinds of fun things. I don't things. think The Kraken was really... You don't think so? octopus, no. No? Well... No, it was a, a giant squid. Resemblance. I listened to the Varbits podcast. Oh, I love the Varbits um, podcast. They were doing a... Um, what are they? The whale big whale called sperm whale sperm whale mm-hmm. and um giant uh sperm whale giant squid episode yeah and they think uh they did for pop culture the kraken mm-hmm it's not a thing it's just pop culture huh? yep it no. is all right so this the, the author here says for 10 years he subscribed to every point of view for going any dish with octopus saying that i can't eat the octopus because they're too smart and clever but he no longer feels that way. Uh, this is a quote. Uh, I should say that the past few years, I've been having it every way I can. Raw, on sushi rice, braised of black olives, grilled with garlic, and pinch of Spanish paprika. You see, as the cult of the octopus intelligence has taken on adherence, I've begun to have my doubts. A slimy, brainy, eight-armed sea snail has been rebranded uncritically and all at once as a soulful genius of the ocean. But are Inky, Otto, and their ilk really what they seem, or could it be that we're suckers for a good story? So this this article goes on for a long time, very, very wordy, but essentially he points out it's just food. Yep. And it's okay to eat food as long as you're not endangered, uh, and we give a little bit too much credit, because mm-hmm. pigs, super smart, right? Yep. Also super delicious. Yes. Right, babies? Delicious? No. No. Okay. I um, just want to make... Get in They're my belly. Dumb. They're dumb. That's They're right. They're dumb. They're idiots. Oh, I wouldn't say idiots. <laughs> when they are born, they are idiots. Yeah, they're born. Uh, All humans are born stupid. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. they're born gross. They're born stupid, and then they learn a few things. After You're very edgy days. this morning. You, Me? Yeah, mornings are funny for you. Really? Yeah. All right. Yeah, so maybe. <laughs> well, we, we got one more interaction. We got our friend Olaf Nelson, who work, I think he's on the board for the North American Native Fish Association. Um, he says, uh, you interviewed someone about spearfishing for lake sturgeon in Wisconsin. Though it might rub some the wrong way, it's amazing the population has gone from completely extirpated to healthy enough to allow for harvest. It's pretty tightly regulated, warning the squeamish there are there's blood and death in these photos. So he shared some images with us of a sturgeon that was speared eating a freshwater drumfish. So there's a sturgeon, and in its mouth is a freshwater drumfish. And I'll have links up at fishners.com for this. Um, and we did a story about this last year. We interviewed Carrie Z from the Hunt Fish Travel Podcast about spearing sturgeon. And I have very mixed feelings about story about. Uh, about catching sturgeon at all, but Carrie Z does not, and I'm lucky enough, Zoe, because I have Carrie Z on the phone right now. Hello, fish nerds. All right, we're so excited because Olaf Nelson shared a story with us about a uh, sturgeon spearing happening, happening, and he mentioned that last year we had a, a caller on, Carrie Z, uh, from the Hunt Fish Travel Podcast, and we thought, boy, let's talk about this one more time and go right to the to the expert spearer herself, Carrie Z. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. It's always great. And, you know, you're popular enough. You've been on the show like once, and everyone remembers you. So it's <laughs> worth having you on again. So you, background, where are you from? Wisconsin? Wisconsin, southeastern Wisconsin, right in Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee. And, and is that anywhere near Oshkosh? It is about 45, about an hour south, or yeah, an hour south of Oshkosh. So yeah. the Fond du Lac area and the Oshkosh area, not too mm-hmm. far from my house at all. Yeah, which is exciting. So you do, I mean, gosh, the ice fishing out there is different than it is here in New England. And you do uh, spearing for, for sturgeons, right? Yes. So for the listeners who don't remember last year, very quick overview, sturgeon spearing, there's only two places in North America that you can legally spear for sturgeon. One is in Michigan and they only give out six tags. And the other is the Lake Winnebago chain here in Wisconsin. 
and we have the largest sustainable population. The sturgeon are more critically endangered than any other group of species on the planet. I mean, anywhere. And we have, like, it's literally like 80% of sturgeon, one of the oldest families of the fishes. It's literally at the risk of extinction. But our fisheries have worked hard to create a sustainable population here in the Lake Winnebago chains. There's 50,000 or more sturgeon right now living in the Lake Winnebago chains. That's insane, because around here we have Atlantic sturgeon, and they're pretty near extinct. I mean, they, they're here, but they, they would not call them sustainable at all. We've got, we count in the hundreds and dozens, not in the thousands, so that's remarkable. And, and how, what have they done? Do you know what they've done to sustain that? Like, how, anything, have any history? Do you know any of this stuff? Yeah, the, so there's a huge, huge, huge story. I should, I should um, forward you the information for the, the people of the sturgeon, some biologists, they spent years and years and years traveling all over the world, trying to figure out how to cultivate these eggs and get them fertilized and to spawn. And it was a real challenge. And I don't remember the exact biological details, but it had something to do with the eggs are real sticky and they weren't able to stick to the natural habitats. And they, so over the years, they have been able to successfully breed and then release these sturgeon into the waters, and now they're naturally reproducing. And of course, that comes with the harvest that we do every year, very closely monitoring. And then we have a sturgeon guard. So during the, the spawn in the, in the spring, sturgeon are, are highly poached. The female's caviar, the roe is sold as caviar on the black market. And it goes for a high dollar amount. But a, a female sturgeon doesn't even reach maturity until 20 years, and she only spawns like once every three or four years. So for these females to get poached, it really can create a detrimental impact on the sturgeon population. Yeah. So we have a sturgeon guard, volunteers every year that go and literally stand guard to make sure poachers. So we've all worked very hard to, to help, help the population succeed. And you're proud of your sturgeon fishery. I mean, it's remarkable. Uh, and, and hopefully the rest of the country can find a model that works uh, as well because it's neat. And, it's, and for those of us, I'm, I'm a, not a spear fisher. I've only ever speared two or three sucker fish in my whole life. And that's all I've ever speared. And, of course, I, I eat whatever I spear because uh, I feel if you kill something, you got to eat it. That's a, one of my rules. So um, you're, there, you're sitting in a I'm kind of the picture. You're sitting in an ice shack. You're on like a foot or two of ice, dark shack, big spear in your hands, and a giant sturgeon swims under your shack. What's that like? It's insane. It's so insane because you have like a second, a split second. Because your whole, the sturgeon hole is six foot by four foot generally. And you're sitting there and you're sitting there and you're looking in this murky water and you're trying to stay awake. And then all <laughs> of a sudden this large sturgeon, because the minimum, minimum length is 36 inches. So, I mean, it's a big fish, mm -hmm. but it's down there at 10 feet, and all of a sudden you see it, and if you're not quick on that spear, and they're gone. They're very curious. You got, Usually they'll put, like, um, fencing or PVC pipe in, a, in the shape of an X, because really you're looking for that shadow to break the plane of those PVC pipes. Mm -hmm. And that's, you just, you don't even have to, like, you don't have to throw the spear. You're not Poseidon. You just, they're heavy. They're very, very heavy. Detachable barbs. You just kind of let that that spear drift down into the water and the weight pierces and then it's game on because then it's a fight because some of these some of these sturgeon you know there's 70 there's as tall as i am they weigh 100 pounds have fun wrestling him through that hole yeah and that's just a big bloody mess after that and do you eat the sturgeon <laughs> absolutely sturgeon is delicious most mm -hmm. people smoke them and mm -hmm. smoke sturgeon is fantastic it's beautiful and if you if you've ever had like shark fillets um grilled shark it's very similar to that in consistency and taste well that makes sense given the the how old the fish is biologically than sharks being so old as well so that makes some good sense and now do you ever get any blowback for spearing these things anyone ever come after you or email you or call you and say hey that's not cool that's horrible every once in a blue moon it's mm -hmm. such it flies under the radar so well. Like so many people don't even know about it in the world unless right. you live in the Wisconsin area. But I think Wisconsinites especially or Midwesterners are more, they're just more um, impressed with the amount of work and the conservation efforts that have gone into it. And they understand 
that if we don't harvest some of them, it's just like an aquarium. Fish will only get as big as the aquarium are. Well, Lake Winnebago is really big, but it's not the ocean. So you mm-hmm. literally do have to help harvest them so that they will keep reproducing and they will keep that sustainability. And most people understand that every once in a blue moon, people are like, oh, that's barbaric because you're stabbing them. But honest to goodness, of all the hate mail that I get, that's pretty rare. And that's one of the things that I talk about. Oh, good. Maybe because they're ugly fish. Yeah, I was going to say they're not cute. And and, (laughs) conservation really, yeah, it's really biased towards cute animals. So (laughs) I think they're cute. They have little beards and they're cute. I like them. <laughs> hey, that's really cool. And and um, tell me a little bit um, about your, your podcast and where people can find it. Sure. Hunt Fish Travel podcast. You can go to huntfishtravel.net. You can search Carrie Zilka, C-A-R-R-I-E-Z-U-I-L-K-A anywhere, and you'll find my podcast. It's basically where to go, where to stay. Instead of focusing on just hunting tactics, it's more about hunting and fishing trips. I've got some great ones coming up hunting Alberta mule deer or fishing in Costa Rica. If you're interested in something like that, this is the show for you. More travel. And, and podcasters, podcast listeners love other new podcasts. So they'll be happy to find it. And it's not new. You've been doing this a long, you, you, you and I have been podcasting. I think we started close to the same time and just, just endless journey of podcasting. So it's, it's fun <laughs> to have a little bit of a connection. All right. Hey, um, so, Hey, thank you so much for coming on the show and we'll put links up at fishnerds.com. Anyone has any questions about spearing, connect them with you and we can talk later. If anyone's interested in giving it a shot, um, This year we had people from, I believe, four other states other than Wisconsin come up and try it out, and they're coming next year. Every year I put out an invitation. It's open to the public. I'll get you the information for renting the sturgeon shanties and lodging information. We spend the weekend, opening weekend, partying and bonfires on the ice and grilling rocks on the ice and hoping for a big sturgeon. Oh, it sounds great. All are welcome. If I get money, I'm going to come next year. If I ever make my big podcast paychecks. Okay, thank you, Carrie. Um, we, we always love your input, and uh, she makes a ton of podcasts and yeah. is a great person, and we're super ha- happy to have her on here. You can find her website at www.occ.net, www.occ, Wild World of Z.net. All right. All right, one more thing, Zoe, we have to do. Really very critical, important thing. And that is zoom in on this so we can read it. One more way you can support the Fish Nerds is by heading over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. They are like uh, online currency for podcasts, helps us get noticed, and we love them, and it makes us feel good. And because we don't make a lot of money at this, saying nice things to us yeah. is like paying us. So if you can't afford the dollar for Patreon, minimum, go to uh, Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Uh, Zoe, you want to read this first review right here? Um, and it's this is from, a, from Dish... Dick. I can't read that. D-Y-S-H-D-K. You're just not going to read the <laughs> and name. And it says, right here, start right here. Love the Fishners from down south. Five stars. Five stars. Hey, Clay, love your show. Been listening for a while. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. If you get down here, let's do some fishing. Tight lines. Mitch. Mitch. And Mitch actually called in the show today. So we're like having a Mitch sandwich today. Beginning of the show, end of the show. Yep. Mitch Sandwich. Mm. Thank you, Mitch. We appreciate it. Here's one right here, Zoe. True to its name, five stars, a fish geek's paradise. The Fish Nerds podcast is more than a review of techniques, cooking tips, or environmental information. It's all the above and more, but mostly it's a whole lot of fun with humor, fellowship, and tying it all together. Clay Groves, that's me, broaches very serious topics like endangered fisheries, and then will turn around with some weird fish news, humor story about an exploit of his own or a friend's, and aside about beer, to, and cement the whole product together with a story about educating kids to fish and respect their natural world. One never knows what for sure, uh, but one does know each podcast will be about fish, fishing, and eating fish. And that was from Crappy Hippie. Except and last the, week it was not. And then we got one more from the Beyond Data podcast. Uh, Nerdy is the new I Need It five stars. I've been listening to the Fish Nerds for a while now. I'm always impressed by the podcast. It makes me laugh and also always teaches me something new. Fish Nerds delivers every episode edutainment, ed- entercation, 
You get the point. Just listen, and that's from our friend Rhett Talbot from the uh, Beyond Data podcast, one of my very, very favorite new podcasts. I love that show. Um, what's your very favorite podcast, Zoe? Varmints. The Varmints is your very favorite? Yeah. Um, who's better on the Varmints podcast, Paul or Donna? I don't know. Yeah? If you had to pick one, like if, if, if that show lost all their funding for their budget, they have like a... They have a, you know, like a $2 million budget. I don't know, Dad. Which one? If they had, like, we can only hire one, Paul or Donna. I don't know. Who would you, who would you fire? I don't know. I, I, would, I don't know what. I, I couldn't. I don't think I could listen to that show if either wasn't on it. Yep. I think they're both excellent. Um, I like Donna's laugh. I like how Paul reacts to her. I think they've got good chemistry. It's a great show. If you're not listening to the Varmints podcast, do it. It's awesome. Free plug. You're welcome, Paul and Donna. All right, Zoe. Whoo. We made a podcast. All right. Time to wrap it up. Wrap there's a, there's a, right in front of you is a... Um, so that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish stars while you should have been fishing. We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on Fishing Quest, and doing all the silly things that nerds do. Special thanks to everyone who called the Fish Nerds Hotline. 607-378-FISH. Carrion. Carrie Z. Carrie Z. From the Hunt Fish Travel Podcast, and of course, our Patreon su- subscribers. We could not make the, the show without you. So, until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. Swim against the current every chance you get. And time to go to school. Yep. Yep. <laughs>